Okay, we're live. Hi, this is William Ramsey. Welcome to William Ramsey Investigates on today's show. I have a very special guest, a returning guest. His name is Charles Moskowitz. I had him on my show a while back. We talked about his book, The Satanic Conspiracy, The Spectre Haunting Mankind, so you can check that out. But I've been on his show. We kind of talked and discussed our last show was, I titled it, The Darkness Beneath the International Order. It's very well received. We did that a couple weeks ago, I think. And then I also talked with him about my book, Children of the Beast and Global Death Cult. But today we're going to talk about his book. Since we talked last, he's published a lot of uh, a lot of cool-looking books. Uh, this one, title of this one, uh, caught my attention. And it is, if you're watching this on Rockfin, the title of it is The Biden Coup, The Socio-Political Effects of an Illegitimate Regime. regime. And uh, so we are going to talk about that. A little bit of background on Charles for people who haven't heard him. He is the host of Charles Moskowitz Live. It's Monday through Friday. It goes out on Rumble, Tech TV, NNN, other platforms. He's an award-winning veteran radio commentator and author. He's been published by the Boston Globe, the Washington Times, the Providence Journal, the New Bedford Standard Times, World Net Daily, Newsmax, and Front Page. He also received the 2003 Communicator of the Year Award from the National Right to Work Committee and was named a Heavy 100 Radio Talk host by Talkers Magazine. He also ran for Congress in 2004 against Representative Barney Frank in Massachusetts, and his website is his full name, so it's Charles Moskowitz. I'll put a link to that in the show notes. So, Charles, welcome to the show. Thank you, William. Always a pleasure. Appreciate it. Excellent. Can you kind of talk about, since we last talked, you put out some new material, other books about how, why... Jewish people should leave the left or exodus from the left, but you've done, you've been busy. So can you kind of talk about some of your new newest books and what led you to put together the Biden coup? Thank you. Thanks a lot, William. I'm doing a whole series of sociological analysis of issues. I'm actually studying sociology here in adult education to get a degree in it. Uh, my books traditionally have been history, but sociology allows me to open the lens a little bit and take a look at the dynamics of what's going on in the society, both historically and putting it in a present context with a somewhat of a projection toward the future. And also it expands the uh, political events of, of today, the current events, by bringing it down to the person, the individual and who they are and their character and their behavior and why they act the way they do. So it sort of is a is kind of a kaleidoscopic lens at looking at the uh, the world as it is more than just simply a narrow historical look. And in that process, I've written several short books of a sociological nature, including Sociology for Conservatives and American Conservative Social Theory, and the case for Jexit, as you mentioned, the American Jewish Exodus from the Left. And then I've written two more political books, which is The Biden Coup, The Sociopolitical Effects of an Illegitimate Regime, and The Populist Wave, The Origin and Rise of American Nationalism and Populism. But I think that for today's talk, we should focus on the Biden coup, um, given the fact that there are developments as we speak, and there have been developments since the stolen election that have further in a way, kind of codified and, and, and solidified what we're dealing with right now. And that is an illegitimate regime and what that means to the, the country as a whole and to us as individuals. 
Right. It does have effects. It's not just political. The society itself has changed because of this. You can see all of these trans things associated, cultural change. Trans, I mean, the, the White House literally says trans rights are the core of our part of our country or something like that. Right. So this kind of it's part of the onslaught. Would you agree that there's all this kind of cultural aftermath of 2020 comes out of what happened in 2020, right? Right. I mean, the uh, the effects, I mean, what it did was it further advanced it and, and put it into a, a position where it could become more legalized, that being just the latest neo-Marxist revolution, which is all woke is, except now it's worse than it's been in past generations for several reasons, which are quite shocking, um, namely because now they're going after the kids in a way that they never did before. I mean, they've always going back to Marx himself and the Communist Manifesto, he always knew, and the left has always known, that the way to transform society into their idea of a one-world ant colony is to get at the children at an impressionable age before they have a chance to develop an ability to think cognitively and to use the skills that, that we associate with reason. And, uh, and so they've always tried to do that by infiltrating the schools and by controlling education. But now it's reached a point where it's, they're actually physically attacking children, as in, you know, they're being neutered and they're being mutilated and they're being masked and they're being, you know, it's, it's worse than just, um, you know, propaganda and, and agitation now. So I think a lot of this has been further enthroned when you have a stolen election. Now, as far as the election is concerned, I would suggest that all Americans understand that the election was stolen. It was done in broad daylight. Most Americans, over, six, over 50 percent of Americans will tell you this openly, according to even most recent polls. And that doesn't just mean Republicans, also Democrats and independents. I think a large number of people who are polled are afraid to say this because they're afraid they might get a knock on the door from the FBI or the IRS or some other federal agency that have now been pol given police powers and have been given more agents to kind of control people. So there's fear involved in saying this publicly. But there's also a sense on the part of those who were either wittingly and consciously a part of the coup d'etat or who were just uh, useful idiots and their followers and that is that they obviously wanted this to happen. And not only that, but once it did happen, they get the extra benefit of power, which means that they can demonize and vilify and destroy anyone who disagrees with them and who brings this up and who attacks them. And I think that there's also an element amongst people who celebrate the coup that they don't care. They just hate, you know, they were either conditioned to despise Trump after a kind of year after year, month after month, week after week, doses of propaganda, like a dripping effect. It's kind of like Chinese water torture. You know, little drops of water, drip, drip, drip. Every day there'd be another little Trump nothing burger. Drip, drip, drip on the forehead. People became conditioned to hate Trump. They can't explain why. When you ask them, they, 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 they fall apart. They become like a bowl of jelly. They don't, there's no coherence. But yet they did have this visceral hatred and they were glad to see this happen and they celebrated it and they didn't care quite openly. 
that it had happened because the ultimate goal was to end the Trump administration by any means necessary. So you had that element as well. And then you just had the general public who knows that this happened, but they've internalized it, they've moved on, and they're, they're, they're generally sort of somewhat in a hazy way glad that, uh, that you have Biden installed and that they also continue to get the daily nothing burger on Trump. Now they're trying to put him in prison. And if you watch like Lester Holt, if you watch the major news, almost every night they take a valuable piece of their prime time to have some nothing story about Trump. And they'll, you know, where they say some innuendo and they attack him. And that keeps this up on the forefront as propaganda. It also sends a subtle message that if you disagree, then you're not going to be part of the in coup, the in, the in crowd. And that can have consequences. And that's especially problematic if you have a younger person who's just graduating college. They've, their parents are spending 85 grand a year to put them through college. They don't want to put their neck out. I get that. You know, they've got a career ahead of them. I mean, I don't care. I'm old. You know, they can't come after me. I mean, you know, but the thing is, you get somebody who is in a high level profession, they don't want to appear to be bucking this establishment. This is, a, there's a um, socio-political element here, and there's a word for it, which I, I can't quite put my finger on right now, for this kind of group think and this phenomena, where people just internalize, they talk themselves out of knowing what they know, and they accept certain things that are not true, but they accept them as true. And once you begin to have things that are false accepted as true in an establishment, and once those things are formally backed by power, legal, you know, the use of police-backed government, then you have a problem where anything can be declared as true or false. And if you disagree, you're penalized. And that's right. Would it be mass mass formation psychosis? Is that the word you were term you're I looking think, for? Yeah, I think that that is it, William. Yes. So you're right. So you have what is a woman, right? Like we're at the face where the, you can have men in women's sports as long as that man says is a woman. So it's an abnegation of actual external reality, and that's just one of the parts. So this whole war on truth and reality is just Orwell writ large. It's all caps. Yeah. Yeah, and the thing that's particularly problematic about it is I get the fact that the left wants to do this. They want to declare men, women, and women, men. They want to blur the lines of separation in their quest to create absolute equality where everyone is a de facto you know, lobotomized animal. But the problem is that there are so many good people who are signing on to it now and who are agreeing to it, and that you have the government openly and blazonly not only endorsing it and codifying it into law, but putting up means by which people who don't accept it are in serious trouble. I mean, this is what the Nazis did when they developed crackpot race theories. If you didn't agree with this crap, you could get in a lot of trouble. You could be put on a train and sent off to a concentration camp if you didn't agree. And they had people who were spies. The communist Chinese do the same thing. They have block managers who watch you and see if you are going to be seen as someone who is uh, you know, an, an enemy of the people, what they now call in this country, someone involved with misinformation, disinformation, whatever they want to call it. 
And if you are exposed as such, you can be in big trouble. So they can put up these lies, like a man can become a woman, a woman can become a man, which is obviously untrue. And they can, you know, and you get parents now who are lining up and bringing their young children in to be castrated or to have their breasts removed. You know, it's, it's uh, I, I can, that, that's the thing that bugs me. I get the fact that they are doing this and they want to do it. They should be put in prison for it. But the fact that so many well-meaning, intelligent people are signing up for it and thinking that they're doing something virtuous. Right. Yeah, that's the whole thing. They think they're doing the right thing. By doing, yeah. they're part of, there's a lot of uh, external virtue virtue signaling with it too. Like, I've got my kid. I'm doing the right thing. He said he's a girl or whatever. And these, it's also a money making industry. Oh, too, absolutely. As well. yeah, yeah. yeah. So, but it is really scary. It's also kind of a, it has a depopulation, anti-human, anti-God view of God's plan for humanity, in my opinion. So man, God made man, woman and men. We have our roles. And this is kind of like this weird Gnostic thing where those God-given roles can be changed by human hands. It's almost like a Luciferian thing. Like I can put my stamp on reality. Oh, it is Luciferian. In fact, if you look at the image of the Baphomet, it, it, it has both male and female features. It's an androgyne, yeah. You know, that's the ultimate goal to create this sort of new kind of creature, this new human that has no sex has no sexuality and that um you know one of the arguments that they use is they say well what about the fact that there is such a thing as a hermaphrodite and that's true i mean it's extremely rare we're talking about you know maybe a, an outlier that is one out of a million i don't know it's it's extremely rare but even in those cases that person is still either male or female just like all mammals are either male or female and that to try to say that they're not or that they're both, that's actually um, offensive and it's defamatory to that person because, you know, you you know, if someone can be both a male and a female at the same time, then that person, I suppose you could say they could impregnate themselves, right? There's one or the other sex is the dominant one, and that's something that has to be determined at a very young age, hopefully before one years old, by the parents and by doctors. And it has a lot to do for, and I'm sorry to be blunt here, but it has to do with whether or not the uh, child has uh, functioning testicles or whether they have functioning ovaries. And, uh, you know, that is what, you know, there are certain determinants where you can then know that that child is male or female, regardless of whether or not they might have some of these abnormalities and mutations. Right, but it's remarkable because now it's kind of a part of the policy of the entire Democratic Party. Like you literally have somebody who's sitting on the Supreme Court who cannot define a woman. Like, this exactly. is, it's shocking. It should shock the conscience of anybody that this is now, and that's kind of like the scary element of party politics, the party, the capital P party, is that they're all on board with these concepts, and Trump is a literal, like an orange Hitler. Uh, he actually followed the law, and he actually crossed a lot of, racial boundaries. He had a lot of African-American people. Of course. I mean, this, these yeah. are all lies, all lies. And the idea that Trump, you know, the, the main, uh, you know, like piece of, of, of the centerpiece of the campaign was that he was fascistic, which was a complete lie, because if anything, he was a classic, you know, liberal Republican 
when it came to things like, and I wish he was even more so, but <laughs> the things like handling of the uh, so-called um, pandemic, where basically he said, look, we're going to allow this to be handled by the states and the federal government is just going to be here in an advisory role. It was very much a federalist position. And then you had people on the left, like, like de Blasio in New York City and, and, and Cuomo, they were saying, well, you have to declare martial law. You have to call out the army. You have to enforce this in every state. And uh, so, you know, the fact is that he was quite the opposite. He was really did operate under the context of limited government and uh, putting the nation, the, the interests of the nation first, which is all of these being reasons why the, the international elite establishment knew that they had to get rid of Trump and no matter how they did it. And uh, I mean, I, I, I'm grateful at least that the man is, they didn't choose the, the Kennedy solution, if you know what I mean. But, uh, you, you know, they, they did, were able to operate this coordinated coup d'etat and have him removed from office. And this book, The Biden Coup, that I wrote, one of my main sources in the book that I quote from very heavily is an article by Molly Ball, who was a reporter with Time Magazine, who wrote an article that was published a month or two after the election. I think it was in June of 2021, where she basically spills the beans on how they did it in pretty deep detail. And one thing you can depend on the left to do is that ultimately they're going to tell, that, you know, they're going to brag and they're going to talk about how they did something using their own kind of terms. I mean, it's kind of what you might call a limited hangout where they will release certain things that, you know, don't look great or that do show what happened, but they do it in a way that they can then mold the conversation. And you have to look for that. The New York Times does it all the time, but you have to know how to read the New York Times. You have to go into the article, get to the end of the article, where they will then drop a few nuggets of truth in terms of what they're talking about. And so that's what I do. I draw from sources like the New York Times, like Time Magazine, to make the case that this was a coup. And indeed, as I said, it happened in broad daylight. Everyone knows what happened whether they want to admit it or publicly state it or not. So true. And that was the whole thing of what happened on J6, right? Is that the people yes. were revolting against this obvious takeover. Like Biden didn't get 81 million votes. That's preposterous. So this is kind of like they're, they're led into it. And then somebody got duped or whatever. They were led into uh, Congress and uh, the congressional building. And then, then the backlash, right? So those were all those people kind of got shoved into kind of a gulag-like place in D.C. People have committed suicide. They've gotten incredibly long sentences for something that wasn't really that violent. And they're perpetuating this lie that five people died. Even uh, Merrick Garland repeated that lie, like there was some kind of like violent takeover. And then you can see these videos of like people walking around. They had to get rid of, they had to get the... Uh, Shaman, the QAnon shaman or whatever out of jail because he was just walking around not hurting anybody. Oh, so they're going to put him away like for yeah. yeah, Yeah, I mean, that was obviously, I would argue, a false flag. And I'm writing a book right now show, comparing that to the Reichstag fire, which put the Nazi regime uh, into total power and created the Fuhrer of ship. These, uh, the Reichstag fire being that there was so-called insurrect, part of an insurrection by communists, and they arrested a couple of people there after the Reichstag went on fire, a month after Hitler took office, and Hitler was in office elected, 
you know, heading up a relatively shaky coalition. All of a sudden, with the Reichstag fire, he had the excuse to declare martial law, suspend the Reichstag, and eventually, when uh, Paul von Hindenburg, the president of Germany, died a year later, abolish the presidency and create the office of Führer. Of course, we know that that would lead to the totalitarian regime and World War II. The, the U.S. capital incursion has that same patina. I'm not comparing the United States to Nazi Germany at all, but this specific event is very similar in nature. It aided and abetted a very specific coup. It was the capstone to the Biden coup. The Bi Biden had already been declared president by the media, basically. The media had lied about and shut down the hundreds, if not thousands, of instances that they could have been reporting of fraud on this part of states. You had a corrupt rhino Republican insider group headed up by William Barr, the attorney general, that shut down local Republicans who were asking for investigations. You had secretaries of state like Jocelyn Benson, for example, in Michigan, who had been put in there by George Soros and by the Southern Poverty Law Center, who was changing laws unconstitutionally to, to help them do like a massive mailing of ballots and to no longer need signatures and all these other things so they could set up the state to do the great steal. You then, all under the guise of the emergency, which was in that case the pandemic, and then the final step, and then of course you had system, you had all the, the, um, the, the state and the federal and even the Supreme Court, the judiciaries refused to hear cases. They just got them dismissed on technicalities and none of them made their way into the inside of a courtroom. Although I will tell you right now, as we speak, one of them finally is going to be heard in Pennsylvania. It's taken two years, it's too late, but it's ultimately that will happen. So you had all of this obfuscation, and then at last you have the National Assembly, the Electoral College, which the Constitution says gets together every four years after the election for president, and delegates are sent up by the states and they vote for the next president of the United States. The uh, assembly has a system in Article 2 of the U.S. Constitution, which says that if one senator and one representative jointly sign a letter contesting the seating of any delegation in the state, then there automatically is a hearing that can last up to two hours in which evidence is presented as to why that delegation should not be seated. And then at the end of the two hours, the president of the assembly, who also happens to be the vice president of the United States, will, has the plenary power, and it says plenary, which means absolute power, to decide whether or not to seat that delegation based upon that presentation. And if the president of the assembly says no to seating that delegation, or if they seat an alternative delegation, then there, there might reach a situation where neither candidate has enough delegates to be declared president, in which case there's then a special session of Congress where each state sends up one representative appointed by the legislature, not the governor. And by the way, the legislatures of each state have the sole power to make election laws. And that was superseded by these corrupt secretaries of states like Jocelyn Benson. Anyway, they send up one delegation 
And that, and then you have 50 delegates come in and they vote on who the next president of the United States is going to be. And it would probably, if in a case scenario like that, it probably would have been Trump because there were 32 or 33 state senates or state uh, houses that have Republican majorities. So there was a great deal of interest in stopping this from happening, not only because of what it might mean for um, who would be elected president because the delegates might be dismissed, but because it was going to be televised and because the whole country would then see evidence. Whether it was there or not, we will never really know. But we were all anticipating the opportunity of seeing the election, the, 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 the evidence that were going to be emerging from seven states, the six usual states plus New Mexico. And thus the whole thing was being unrolled. I was watching it on television. Uh, they, they called the states by alphabetical order. The first state to do a, a contestation was Arizona. I was watching the, the contest. They were in the middle of hearing the evidence. It was sensational. You could see them laying out very convincing evidence that there was fraud. Then I, I was called away from the TV because I had an interview on my own podcast. I was gone for about 10 minutes, 15 minutes. And then I came back and turned on the TV set and I'm like, oh crap. There's the guy pushing the, you know, the stick into the window. There's the guy with, you know, the with the, the, the QAnon uh, shaman with, with a painted face and the phony. Uh, you know, Buffalo hat walking around the hall. And I'm like, oh, this is it. It's over. You know, you just knew it. Now, what happened is that they then had to postpone and stop the hearing. They shut everything down. Everybody went home and they all came back in the wee hours of the morning without any media, without any hearings, without any contestations. And they just gaveled Biden through. And that's how God, Biden became president. Now, where is the insurrection? Where is the coup? Seems to me that the evidence indicates that this was a false flag, not only because you have to ask the question that any investigator asks, who, who bono, who benefited from this? But also the evidence is that Nancy Pelosi, who was in charge of security, she didn't call out the National Guard. The mayor of D.C., Bowser, didn't call out the National Guard in spite of the fact that President Trump asked them to. They had the authority to do that. Again, Trump was acting like a good Federalist. He didn't do, didn't take extraordinary measures. Maybe he should have. And then on top of it all, you had agent provocateurs threaded throughout the crowd who were saying, we got to go into the Capitol. Who came up with that idea? Right. right, Ray Epps. I mean, everyone's seen the videos. He flies into Washington with his son the morning before. He's there the day before being filmed. The son filmed him. They put it up on YouTube saying, we got to go into the Capitol, he says, into the Capitol, wearing a Trump hat. And, you know, he's there the day of it with, with a headphone on, whispering to people, go into the Capitol. And then they took down the bike racks so that everybody could go in and they swung the doors open. And the whole thing was threaded with people like that. There were the guys up in the loudspeakers announcing, go into the Capitol. Nobody's ever found out who they are. No one is, they've right. never been charged. Ray Epps has never even been interviewed by the FBI. He's still walking around. Then you have some poor schmuck who is standing on the lawn 
or a guy like the QAnon shaman who was escorted around the Capitol by the police, and he's facing 20 years in prison. It's a, this is like, this is the classic aftermath. There's a gulag set up where you have people who, were, who weren't even facing charges and still haven't faced charges two years later. They've been tortured. They've been put in solitary confinement. It is something that is a classic, you know, it, it absolutely, I stand by the contention that it is completely comparable to the Reichstag fire. Right. I mean, it's incredible. So they're in there. They don't get their constitutional rights either, right? So they no. don't get a spe uh, speedy trial. The resources are there. They just don't want to do it. So everything just looks like they're trying to cover up uh, for the coup. Yeah, it's absolutely. Was, if they planned coup, they undermined Trump from the very beginning, 2016 oh, yeah. to 2020. So this is all laid out, planned. Zuckerberg was involved. I mean, you write in your book, like he gave away half a billion dollars to yeah. set up all these things. Like he's in, well, these guys are involved. Walking, in, walking around money. He, see, he writes yeah. a check for $420 million out of his own <clears throat> personal bank account, which went to uh, help people do things like ballot harvesting, going to nursing homes in the case of Wisconsin, where they literally were filling out ballots for people who were you know, in dementia and who, in many cases who had already died. They were stuffing ballot, the, the, the drop boxes. I mean, Dinesh D'Souza did a very good movie documentary on this, The 2000 Mules, where they show how they were just, you have films of people, ballot after ballot after ballot. And you have a few whistleblowers who have stepped forward and said, yeah, we were paid a lot of money to do this. And uh, you had just massive corruption. You had this organization goes, that goes by the acronym of ERIC, E-R-I-C, that was supposed to monitor the um, enrollment vote, voter registration in, I think it was about 30 states, including the, the contested states, the battleground states. And in 10 years, they haven't done barely any removal of any name on a ballot in spite of the fact that people have died, they've moved out of state. And they apparently, we now know, got funding from left-wing sources. Um, and, and they were basically running interference. There are states that are now dropping out of the ERIC system. I hope that they all do because they're very corrupt. And of course, we can't even talk about the um, electronic voting machines because you and I could end up facing lawfare for that. They have been a very effective at suing anybody who mentions them. But there is enormous evidence that would raise questions about their efficacy, including the Haldeman report, which just came out in Georgia, that right. where it openly says these machines can be tampered with, they can be hacked, they could be manipulated. And you have that information sitting on the desk of the corrupt Secretary of State over there, Brad Raffensperger, who, by the way, took a $6 million check from Soros, and who President Trump called him and said, can you do something about this? We know we have enough votes to carry the state. He, he already had a, he had a report sitting on his desk showing that there had been at least 200,000 votes manipulated with. He did not mention that to Trump. He lied to Trump. And now Trump is being, you know, he's under a lawsuit over suggesting that. So they're continuing. Right, to, right, right. Yeah, I mean, they yeah the guy who covered that is Garland Favorito. I yes. forgot what the name of his organization is, but he's been on that the whole time. And it looks and like Raffensperger. forward, but it's taken all these years. And they still, Raffensperger still has the same corrupt system in place that uh, was there for the midterm and it'll probably be there for the next election. 
before they ever my, get him. My out. understanding is that's why Raffensperger got that job. He was installed. Like these guys are yeah, put in the Secretary of State for that reason to facilitate the vote fraud. Yeah, like, that's exactly that. right. I mean, there's a whole, there's a list of them around the country that that were basically put there for this very reason. And unfortunately, there weren't enough state legislators who understood the actual responsibility of their office, which was to regulate elections. And so these secretaries of state were able to step in in that kind of a vacuum and do just that. And that's what you had people like Raffensperger and Benson and, and others. It's incredible. Soros money is all over there. And we don't even talk about the prosecutors in some yes. of these big cities and things like that. But uh, they really facilitated this huge change. And I mean, whoever's making the decision, it isn't Biden, right? Biden is obviously not um, the mastermind. Either is uh, Kamala Harris. Like they, those two don't even put together, come together as a fully functioning intellectual human being. Like, no, God, it's amazing. So somebody else is doing the thinking for me. Uh, and we we really don't know who that is, but it's a disaster by any ordinary metric and across any area because they lack legitimacy at their core. And everyone knows it. The rest of the world knows it. And it's uh, it's created instability in this country and around the world. Right. So you have this ongoing war. We're really at the brink of nuclear war. Putin's talking about nuclear bombs and like getting them ready and like we're uh, have sleepwalkers in charge. It's so strange that we're really involved in spending billions of dollars overseas and stuff like that for something where we don't even have our own house in order. It's incredible. That's right. Well, I mean, that's why on the Democratic side, you've got um, Robert F. Kennedy Jr., who uh, is doing very well. He's a basic truth teller. And uh, I understand that he's got something like 20, 25% in polls against Biden. And I think he could win. I think so too. Yeah. Because that's a whole other element of this Biden coup is what happened with the vaccine rollout. Well, what they call a vaccine and the handling of this ep uh, epidemic was was gained, gamed by all these people, Fauci, Gates. So it's because of that emptiness, the weakness, central authority, I think in the presidency that a lot of that stuff got misspent there were billions and misspent money really trillions actually if you take into account the cares act and things like that right and so i blame trump a part of that by the way i mean me too. That, me too that's not a good a good record for him i mean i think that trump's weakness i think in many ways and they played on that is that he seems to have this ego that needs to be massaged and i don't know why he would i mean the man has been so successful in life. I mean, in every metric, in every way, he's, he's famous, he's rich, he's got a great family, but yet he still needs to tell a tall tale here and there to further boost his ego. And I just, uh, in this case, I think that they said, well, you could have the vaccine done on unprecedented and it'll have your name on it. And we'll, and he was all on board with that. And that, that was a mistake. And, you know, so I, you know, I suppose that, you know, psychologists and social scientists will study the flaws of various people in positions of influence, and they will figure out ways to exploit those. In some cases, it's blackmail. I think in Trump's case, it was just plain old fashioned ego that um, they knew how to press those buttons. And uh, so there's some yeah, unfortunate aspects to that. I think he didn't, he didn't have to listen to Fauci and Burks. In fact, uh, Dr. Alexander, who is one of the 
advisors in that circle. Um, he was an immunologist. He's written a book that's been published by Skyhorse Publishing. He, uh, a doctor, he was all he cared about. He wasn't political. He just said, look, we got to get to the bottom of how to handle the, uh, the virus. Well, Fauci and Burke started to confide in him for one reason only, and that's because he's black and because he spoke with a uh, Jamaican accent. So they figured, oh, he's one of us. You know, they just assumed that. And so they began to talk about how they're trying to undermine Trump. And there were a lot of policies were there to try to pull the rug out because Trump was popular and he was going to win re-election, including getting him on board with the lockdowns. And, uh, you know, I mean, unfortunately, Trump listened to them. And that's a, a character flaw on his part, the fact that he would have listened to them. Right. It's really interesting. And DeSantis did not take the lockdown for whatever credibility he has. But he also cleaned up the voter rolls. They don't cover this in the media. He cleaned yeah. up the voter rolls, rolls in Florida and won by a 15 percent margin. That shows you how corrupt it is. The soft underbelly of the left is vote fraud. If you can clean up the vote oh, yeah. fraud, the entire sociopolitical of, uh, involvement in this whole country would change overnight. It would be like uh, Mordor collapsing on itself. Like literally, it's all based on vote fraud. But, it is. Uh, yeah, yeah. And that's if we don't get a clean election. And I'm not suggesting that we've ever had a completely clean election in this country, going back to Jefferson. I don't even know how clean that one was. But we need to at least reach a point where it's not the, the um, you know, the, the level of ballot fraud. And it's not, it's not voter fraud because voters, that's not a big issue. I mean, right. it, to commit voter fraud is a felony. And I don't think that that's gone up or down. It's election fraud is the key word. It's coordinated from the top, and that's has reached a point where it's systemic in our system. And if we don't do something about that, we are never going to have another free election in this country. And that means everything. Right. It means everything. It really goes to basic principles of uh, uh, freedom and autonomy. Like, they really attacked individual autonomy, the Biden administration, by forcing people to get the shot and all this stuff like that. So, yeah. yeah so and demonizing anybody who didn't and even threatening to put them into concentration camps. I mean, the level of hatred for people, men, men and women who are military figures weren't even allowed to resign rather than take the shot. And they were being court-martialed or they were, being, they, they were losing all their benefits. I mean, these are people who had worked in the military for decades. I mean, it was that bad and it was that ugly. And I think that on that particular score, we can thank the Canadian truckers. Thank God for the Canadian truckers. The Canadian truckers decided that they'd had enough of it and they started to block the highways of Canada. And when you have that, that can bring a country to a halt because truckers move everything from point A to point B. And that was spreading. It was spreading to the United States Australia, New Zealand, France, even Israel, there was rumbles of it. And so that brought the whole rotten pandemic policy to its knees. They were about to implement an electronic passport, which would have been the complete end of freedom as we know it. And they stopped it. Here in Boston, where I live, our new mayor, Michelle Wu, had just implemented a, a law saying that you had to show a passport to go into a restaurant 
or to go into a store. Um, that went by the wayside because it coincided with the truckers. And she quietly had to get rid of that because, no, first of all, nobody was paying any attention to it. But I think it's a reflection for where we were headed. And so there are these events or there are these individuals who do stand up and say something that can change everything. The father who stood up in Loudoun County and defended the fact that his daughter had been raped in the, in the woman, girl's room by a guy wearing a wig and a dress, that changed everything in that state. And that's what got Glenn Youngkin elected governor when he really wasn't supposed to be elected. It was supposed to go to the corrupt Democrat McAuliffe, who was part of this big internationalist oriented amoral machine that Biden is a part of. So I only bring this up to make the point that one truth teller at a meeting can just say one little mild thing. And I'm speaking here as a sociologist and it can change the whole atmosphere of that meeting. It can change people's lives overnight. And that's how history works. You have a couple of people, a handful of people who are willing to stand up and speak out against certain things and everything, the whole complexion changes. And that is why they need to engage in such censorship. That's why they removed President Trump from Twitter. He had something like, I don't know, was it 10 million followers? And they, they removed him because he simply noted that he would not be attending the Biden inauguration. That is, you know, there's been a crackdown ever since, but there are alternative outlets. Here you are, William, with an alternative outlet. You're not censored, neither am I. And we work within the areas that we can. So I'm not pessimistic about that, even though they have cracked down on, uh, on YouTube and on Google. And even though you now have at major universities like Harvard, these think tanks like the Shorenstein Institute, that are there basically as censorship mills. They're, they're trying to figure out all the different sophisticated ways they can censor opinion, particularly conservative opinion. Right. It's an industrial complex, right? That's the Indeed. tiny statement. It's, <laughs> it's, it's unbelievable. So it's the government, third parties, fact checkers. They have these interesting terms. But yeah, Trump had 86 million followers on Twitter. So he had a huge Thank number. You. Like, it's kind oh, of... Yeah. Probably close to how many people voted for him in actuality. It's kind of telling because he has 86. Biden has 20 million followers and supposedly got 81 million votes. Yeah, some some yeah, of the numbers don't Biden, add up. Biden's are probably all bots, anyways. They probably purchased those. True. <coughs> Apparently, that's what happened. I think with Hillary, but I, I'm not that's saying true. that flat out. I've heard that. Yeah, I wouldn't be surprised. Uh, Charles, we are at the 45-minute mark. Is there anything you'd like to add? Anything I missed before I wrapped up? I think we've kind of gone over the book. Uh, is there anything? Uh, well, you know, I just uh, thank you for having me on, William. I just uh, might as well take an opportunity to briefly and shamelessly plug my books. <laughs> right? do. I mean, do I'm, yeah. I'm writing a series of uh, short sociological books. They're available at Amazon.com. We're here talking about the Biden coup the socio-political effects of an illegitimate regime. I also have available there the populist wave, the origin and rise of American nationalism and populism, uh, the case for Jexit, which is my most recent, 
the American Jewish Exodus from the Left, and the first in the series, which is Sociology for Conservatives and American Conservative Social Theory. So, you know, I hope that uh, I can contribute a little bit toward um, the maintenance of freedom. Freedom doesn't grow on trees in this country or in this world. You have to get up and you have to fight for it sometimes. And the best weapon that we can have is simply telling the truth. Everyone can do their part in some small way and you can do it in a way that doesn't compromise your position. I understand that some people have to play ball because of professional reasons, but there were little acts of subversion. <laughs> and it was G.K. Chesterton, the great Catholic the uh, thinker of Great Britain, who said that within the next generation from him, the, uh, the Judeo-Christian faith and, and people who are believers in, in a creator of the universe and not in the state and people who believe in a moral and ethical code of Sinai, that we will be the alternatives. We will be the subversives. And that is exactly where we are now. So, you know, as such, you have to be careful to pick your fights, to be to handle situations with kindness and love, because most people are, I don't want to use the word brainwashed, but if you look at the way the media functions, people are not aware of what we're talking about. I'm talking about the normies. And that when you introduce something that is a little bit off of their, what they get in their daily digest of information, they can react negatively. People can become upset. Nobody likes to think, you know, it, it becomes, there's a reaction. So you have to handle these things with care and with love and with compassion and with subtlety. Amen. And people can reach out to you at your website, charlesmoskowitz.com. Is that correct? Yes. Thank you very so much. For contact there. So I'll put a link to that website in the show notes. People can just click through there. I think you have 20 books in total, something like that. I do. And then your show is Charles Moskowitz Live, right? So that's, that's right. And you can, you can, the best place to go for that is Rumble. Rumble. Okay, cool. Yeah. So I'll try to find a link to that Rumble page too for your show. Thank but you. again, Author is Charles Moskowitz, and the book we discussed today is The Biden Coup, The Socio-Political Effects of an Illegitimate Regime. Regime. Thanks so much for your time. Thank you, William. Take care. All right, you as well. Stay Thanks. next.